and welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architecture Podcast. My name is Will Scott, and in these podcasts, we talk to thought leaders in the area of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams drive and deliver value to the organization in the areas of strategy advancement, operational efficiencies, and reduction and management of risk. Today, I'll be interviewing Cameron Spence, enterprise architect at Thameswater. Cameron has deep and rich tenure in the enterprise architecture discipline and is currently in the final stages of completing his PhD on the topic. Cameron talks us through his journey at Thameswater and how he implemented a new application management and rationalization system and the nuances and learnings he gained therein in that journey across the aspects of people, process, and tools. Let's go to that interview now. So Cameron, thanks very much for joining us today on the Biz Design Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, perhaps it'd be good for our listeners if you perhaps just introduce yourself, uh, what you do, who you work for, and a little bit of personal stuff about you as well. I think that'd be great to uh, set context for the remainder of our conversation. Sure, it's really good to be with you, spend some time with you. So uh, a bit about myself. So I'm an enterprise architect working for Thames Water in the UK. Thames Water are the UK's largest water and waste company, serving 15 million customers in the south of England. We extract water from rivers and aquifers, clean it, and each day supply an average 2.7 billion litres to people across London and the Thames Valley. We also take away and treat wastewater at our 354 sewage treatment works. From this sewage, we actually generate renewable electricity, generating 20% of our own energy needs. The rest of it coming from the renewal energy grid. I'm the enterprise application architect within Thames Water. Our CTO function is responsible for setting the future direction for our supporting information technology. Within that function, we have a number of enterprise and platform architects with different areas of responsibility. Mine is the overall application portfolio. And in addition, I am responsible for our modeling capability, enabling us to build and maintain a shared picture of how our business works and how IT supports that. And tell us a little bit more about how you ended up in, uh, you spent your entire career in enterprise architecture, you traversed a number of different roles. My background is actually software engineering, started my career in the mid eighties, um, programming, then moved into doing bespoke software for various clients. Enterprise architecture, the discipline and solution architecture, they really came about um, in the mid nineties, early nineties is when the, when these frameworks started to appear. So I got involved in doing solution and enterprise architecture around then. Um, I was working for Digital Equipment Corporation for many years. Um, spent some time in a number of companies, including a long period with Capgemini, was my most, most recent consulting experience. And then up to two years ago, I joined Thames Water. Before that, I was working for a shipping company, Mask. So background in software engineering, then consulting, then solution enterprise architecture, a lot of that consulting and then went basically um, end user four years ago. Wow, Digital Equipment Corporation. There's a name I've not heard in a while. They, who did they get bought by? Did Dell buy them? Or I can't remember who bought them in the end. I went through two mergers. Um, they were bought end of the last century. Doesn't that sound good? I think at the end of the last century, they were bought by Compaq. Because I remember a colleague said to me, Cameron, what does it feel like to work for a, a PC company? I thought, thanks. Um, 
And then they were then Compaq itself was bought by HP uh, two or three years later. And of course, HP have now split into enterprise and all sorts of other things. So it's gone. It's gone in a very strange direction, I think. But no, I love my time at Deck. I think it's probably the best company I've worked for by a long way. And many people from there will say the same, I suspect. Well, that's fantastic. I guess it sounds like you earned your stripes there. So I'm really interested to hear more about how you put your arms around the application estate. And I like that word estate because it, it really does do justice to the complexity of the range of applications that a large organization uses and the interconnectedness of those. So when you first came into the, into the job, you sort of suggested that, that things would be managed on the good old fashioned Excel Visio PowerPoint technology stack. Can you tell us a little bit more about when you came into the position, what you discovered? Yeah, so you've I've got a number of different tools that are typically used in organizations. You've got tools that look after what's running right now. That's typically the domain of things of things like ServiceNow, of which we're a user, for example, and then configuration management databases. And then you have tools of which BizDesign is an example, which really deal with past, present, and future. So where are we heading? So roadmaps, that kind of thing there. And another, another difference here, which is really important, is that ServiceNow and things like that will really, that can be used to discover what's out there, but BizDesign and other tools like it are really used to specify what we want to be out there. So it's more of an intentional way of saying things. And those two viewpoints are what I found, but we had a tool to do the what's operational right now. But when I joined the organization, we were looking at buying a tool to do the future state, to do the road mapping, to do the designs and take them out of PowerPoint and Visio. So when I came onto the scene, we were looking at a number of tools. And in the end, long story, but we settled with BizDesign and put our toe in the water there. We, yeah. That's excellent. So it sounds to me like you've got um, sounds to me like you've got a range of tools which are used to manage the current state, and then tools which you put in the context, in this case, BizDesign of the future state. Um, talk to you a little bit more because I know it's a question I often have from enterprise architects. How much do they live in their own domains or how much do they have to talk to each other and spend time communicating with each other so that you can map, you know, what is going to be the destiny of, of current state applications? So I've done this kind of role twice now, I say for a shipping company before I came here. And there can be politically a bit of a divide here between those who are used to using an ITSM or ITIL-based system, I should say, like ServiceNow, and those that use EA modeling to, like BizDesign. Um, so I don't think that's something that always works that well. There's a perspective I've seen in both my last two organizations where those who are using, say, ServiceNow want to see everything in there. They want that to be the master of everything, the single, single, single version of the truth is what they call it. You can't really have that because you can't. You can never get a situation where all information is mastered in one place. As soon as you take the view, well, what about my processes? Well, they don't get mastered in service now. Why not? It's not designed to handle them. So not everything can be mastered in one place. So we've got to learn to live with an environment where information is split across multiple systems, but that but yet allows us to work together. And that's a really key thing that. Um, a challenge, I guess, that, that, that we have. And it's actually quite useful in our case because we ended up, I'd like to say for better, but for better or worse, for business design, and that actually has a hooking to ServiceNow that opens up the, the possibility of us actually joining together properly with ServiceNow. Yeah. Okay, so so you had um, the challenge of putting in this future state planning tool and you selected BizDesign. 
uh, for that. You talk to us a little bit more about what that, uh, how you implemented that, not just technologically, because I'm sure it's technology, but we had to implement, um, you know, there's a, there's a people aspect of this. You have to convince people that you need this tool. And you sort of alluded to sometimes political divide. There's also a process aspect. So it's, you know, when I think about implementation of systems, it traverses people, process and tools. Could you spend a little bit of time talking about um, what that little part of the journey was like when you first made that shift away from Excel, Visio, PowerPoint, whatever you're using, to a, a fit-for-purpose tool, a tool designed specifically to do, in this case, this design for understanding and, and designing future state? I think that's a really good question, and I'll, I'll take them in order there. So the people side, what I've learned is that some people think in a very structured, disciplined way. People take the mickey out of me. They think I'm very structured. Like I'm, my thinking runs on rails. I'm so predictable, right? Some people get that. And so if I just step away from the tool for the moment, the use of standard languages or frameworks like BPMN or Archimate or DMN or UML or ERD or whatever, some people will naturally use standard ways of expressing themselves and some people don't. Some people find it constraining. And often the senior stakeholders for whom we're trying to create results or present results don't want to see stuff in those languages. So actually, part of the issue we've had with people is them not liking being constrained in the way they express themselves. Um, now, part of my background I didn't share with you, but I will now because it's kind of relevant, is my academic background. So I did a bachelor's degree a long, long time ago. Um, I did a master's a few years ago, and I'm just finishing off a PhD right now, actually in the same subject, in EA modeling. And business design has been very helpful, both from a product perspective and a people perspective. I've got some help from some guys in the organization, which is great. But I've been specifically looking at this as part of my research as well, how we tailor the diagrams, the views, if we like, that we generate and make them acceptable to people who don't understand Archimate. There are ways you can do that and the technology can help us in that process. But it's all about speaking different languages and it takes time. So some of our people, I think, have been quite happy and have been really welcomed the opportunity to dive in and express themselves using a richer vocabulary than just pink and green and blue boxes, as it were. And some have really struggled with it. So we found people have formed very clearly on one side of the line or the other. I'm happy to go and learn a, new, learn a tool. I mean, some, some of our people haven't been that well trained in frameworks. I've had to teach them about frameworks. It's like, what is an architecture framework and so on? Some people have really gone for it. Some people haven't. That's been a struggle there. About the process, well, that's really interesting. As soon as you create a system that is meant to hold information about your IT estate, then you're creating something that can get out of date very easily. So any piece of information, you're going to think, well, how is it going to get updated? And that's been a real challenge for us because our processes, for example, the um, cradle to grave process, I've got an idea. It's now being built. It's now running. It's now being turned off. That process that you go through, if you don't have an intersection between that process and your architecture repository, then it, the repository is out of date. So we're having to go through and remodel our processes because they were originally built just to incorporate, for example, ServiceNow. But if you don't incorporate, say, biz design in it as well, then any information you might have about the state of applications or what the feeds are between them is going to be inaccurate very quickly. So you actually really do have to get your processes sorted out. Um, the technology is an interesting one as well. Um, you can't just throw technology in and make it work. 
and, and assume it will work, you actually have to put some time into it. And part of that is tailoring it for use your own, in your own organization. Um, so part of that will be, well, what extra data do we want to capture? So as an example here, many organizations will um, have a system for managing projects. So they'll have a list of projects with a description and maybe they've got kind of rag status against them. Now I want to make sure we can use that project data as part of our enterprise models. So for example, we can say, this application is being touched by that project. That project is decommissioning that application. So you may want to start discussing what profiles or attributes you want to add on to make it possible to model that. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting to me that I've learned in the last, over the last couple of years, partly because of the academic research I've done about the process of understanding an architecture model, is as a translation goes on in our head, this is what's, come up, what's known as semiotics. Now, we're talking now of a really good conversation. Um, but everything that I say to you, you're interpreting because of your past experience, not just the fact that you speak really good English, but when I use certain words like a business service or enterprise architecture framework, you've got a previous understanding that you rely upon to understand what I'm saying. So it goes for an interpretation process. And that's really key because with a tool like BizDesign, you're not speaking one language anymore. The whole benefit to us is you can do architecture modeling, you can do process modeling, you can do solution modeling, you can do data modeling, but guess what? They've all got their own languages. So actually we've got, and I've had to think about, so it's not much thinking about, not so much thinking about how do I use Archimate, but what are, much, what are we trying to say in this, through all these languages? So trying to create a meta language as it were, based on what we need in our organization, and then say, right, how, do, how does that map onto those different languages, or if we need to? So, for example, the concept of an application, does it need to map into BPMN? Well, yes, because BPMN has, they're called data stores, so I want to show our applications being used by processes. So start to think about the ideas we're trying to say and how that maps into different languages. Boy, you came up with so many interesting things there. I want to I ask so many questions. I think the first observation you made, that few people feel constrained when they're moving out of the world, I'll use Excel, right? Because Excel is the infinite palette. I can paint any picture I like with Excel and I'm unrestricted in what I'm doing. And uh, I'll tolerate the fact that the moment, the moment I hit save, it's out of date. Uh, but I think what I've observed many times of enterprise architecture teams is once you truly start to describe massively interconnected enterprises, as you say, from technology to applications to processes to projects that touch those applications. Once you start trying to describe that interconnectedness, Excel will fail you very, very quickly, which more often than not leads people to buy a fit-for-purpose um, tool in there. The other thing you talked about was, was really interesting is this, uh, and, and one of my colleagues, Joe Geary, talks about business capability maps as the Rosetta Stone, is that architects need to suppress their secret language and speak in plain English. Or what you brought up, which that's even more interesting, was business process modeling, solution modeling, technology, whatever it might be, they actually each have their own language, German, Dutch, English, what have you. And you've got to create that, is it like that Esperanto dictionary that will translate them all into one common understanding? Is, is, that, is that what you're striving yeah, for? That's, that's kind of it, yes. You have to, because you, you, no one actually by default speaks Archimate, if I can put it that way. Okay. We, when we use a modeling tool like this, we have something we're trying to say, something we're trying to represent. 
So let me give you an example here, trying try to talk this through here. So because we often use words in different ways. If I go to someone in the operational sphere, so say using the CMDP part of ServiceNow, and they say, um, well, I've got a list of applications here. They see they mean something subtly different to what I mean by an application. Because they're really talking about installation of an application into a particular environment. All right. So although ServiceNow refers to applications, let's take an example. Let's say I'd install, let's take Business Design itself, okay? Let's say I'd install Business Design on premise. And I'd also put it into a test environment. So as an architect, I'm not really interested in environments where it's installed. I'm interested in it logically or conceptually. So I've got business design as a logical application. But if I install it twice, then I may well have biz design brackets pre-production or biz design brackets test or biz design brackets production. So I may have a number of, they're called CIs in, in service now, a number of CIs that map to a single logical record. Now, the logical record and the conceptual, what it does, are the domain of the architect. The installations or instances of it are the domain of the operational people. But they both call them applications. So we have to disambiguate that and recognize that they are different and work out, using this meta language you described, what we call them. And then say, by the way, so I could, let's say I call them applications and application instances. Then we have to say, well, an application is known in our EA environment as an application or in Archimate as an application component, but an application instance in our meta language is known as an application in ServiceNow. So we have to do the mapping between our overall, what we're trying to say and the individual tools and languages in which it's represented. I get it. That's really interesting you should say that because you're right. Uh, most people, when they talk, when, when I'm a non-IT person, I talk about applications, I'm talking about the instance. I'm the vice president of contact center services. Hey, Cameron, why is my application not working? And you have to say, okay, I know what he means by application, but in my mind, what he really means is application instance, which is a child of application version, which is a child of, and I'm sure there's all manner of grouping yeah, in there. Yeah. And your job, as you mentioned before, is the, the VP of contact center service, like I made that title up, but he doesn't need to know about that detail. That's irrelevant. Mm. You're suppressing it from him. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm going to make that own translation in my head so yeah. that I can act. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's, that's right. So it's about speaking different languages. It's all about, yeah, it's all about language here in terms we can get so confused. Challenges that we have, people have different names for the same application or the same name for different applications. This is all we have to, what you have to try and sort out. And it's very easy to be ambiguous. And some people take advantage of that. Here's one thing I've found. So many organizations have architecture boards where projects who want to build something come and say, here's what we're going to build. What do you think? Is that okay? And with us, what they typically do is, or historically they have done, is they've come and showed us a PowerPoint deck. And you can get away with loads in a PowerPoint deck. So here's, here's a simple example. They put a box on saying GIS. Well, what on earth does GIS mean? We have about 10 or 20 different GIS applications which one? Now, if you're doing PowerPoint, you can get away with it. But but we've changed our process, thankfully, so that now, before we go before architecture boards, the solution models are done in biz design. And they are done using standard applications from our application catalog. So they drag them on, and we can look at it, and then we know exactly which one they're talking about. So it forces the teams to be very specific about which thing they're using. So which GIS component? 
or more recently, another example was, well, we're going to do FTP it. Which FTP? Oh, that FTP engine. That one's being, that one's being uh, removed. Oh, okay, we'll use that one then. So it forces you to think about what you actually mean, which some people who want to be vague don't like, but we need precision. You need to know what you're actually going to be using. So it actually helps us enormously in that respect. I really like that. And that probably leads me nicely to my next question, which is the value of enterprise architecture. I think oftentimes enterprise architects get a bad rap. They're the guys who sit in the ivory tower. They're the guys who just say no. They're the guys who create these really complex cryptic folders and diagrams with words I don't understand. I'm not sure what they do for me. Um, and they just seem to be making my life a living hell. I just want to make stuff happen. But your, your promise is we will make stuff happen better and quicker because like it or not, we'll force you to have the specificity you need to have in order to be execute and we'll prevent you from making mistakes like selecting an FTP engine in this case that's about to be retired. Can you talk a little bit more about how you, how, and it's this constant struggle for EA teams, how you talk about the value of enterprise architecture from someone who wouldn't know enterprise architecture from a hole in the wall? That's a really interesting and deep question. We often, you, you can talk about enterprise architecture as being a noun or a verb, can't you? You can talk about, I'm architecting a solution. I use it in an active verb sense, but we can also talk about it in, in a noun, as in what is the architecture of the solution or the of the enterprise? And I guess if you look at the latter way of talking about it, you could say that any enterprise has an architecture. It has a set of systems that are interconnected. So everyone, every organization has an enterprise architecture it may have been designed or maybe accidental, but you all have one. And good enterprise architecture is simple, I think, and it avoids duplication. As a simple example, looking across the enterprise, if we want to do single sign-on, I would like a single directory service. I don't want five of them or four of them or three of them. I want one. So that when I add an account or I have, what is it, joiners or leavers or movers, it's done in one place. And a good enterprise architecture has that kind of single place to do a single task so that's part of the value i think what it allows you to do is predict the future there's there's something we've done which is quite an interesting piece of work recently so um we're, our organization is limited as to what it can spend we, we do planning over what are called five-year cycles their asset management period or amp periods we just started a new one and i'm being asked well i'm part of a team that's doing a large-scale application rationalization, turning applications off. So I'm being asked, okay, what are we currently spending? What are we going to be spending next year? What about the year after that? What about the year after that? But what's the input to that? Well, I've got these vague plans by various architects to turn some things off at some stage. So what we've been doing is getting our architects to build a set of very specific models or views, I could call them, that, that show in their area exactly what applications are being transformed, what's being added, what's being removed, what's being changed, linking it to timescales as well. So you can use the, the um, their plateaus, aren't they, in Archimate? Linking it to plateaus with costs added as metrics. And we've now got this design with our customizations on it to actually split out financial projections across the whole IT estate over the next five years, just based upon the graphical models. So that's something you couldn't do with using Excel or PowerPoint. So you get the architects to worry about doing the pictures in Archimate, 
and attaching the right metrics, like this application currently costs £600,000 a year, you get the architects to draw the lines that say this is being decommissioned by that project in Q2 next year. But then you can use the intelligence in the scripting and business design to create the reports coming out of that that show your spend over the next five years, which is really powerful. That's fantastic. And uh, I think I always feel like, you know, the argument for enterprise architecture is it changes how you change. So premise one, do you anticipate changing? And of course, the answer is yes, Um, particularly in these heady days. Of course, change happens all the time. And it's question two, are you happy with how you change today? Well, no, it's frustrating because we have all these misfires on projects and they seem to overrun and we seem to come across problems we've never come across before. Then three, would you like to change how you change? And I think for me, the promise of EA is we understand the interconnectedness of that entire organization. So when you propose a change, we can help you make that decision better and faster with greater efficacy, with less costs, and I'm sure a lot of other nice words about that as well. So, Cameron, let me ask you this. Um, and it was fascinating that instance uh, you talked about. I call it the Enterprise Architecture Application Instance, which is that application rationalization project you mentioned. But at a meta level, in terms of enterprise architecture's influence and impact on uh, Thames Water uh, in the future, do you think you've got all the different areas covered across process technology solutions, or do you plan to extend the benefits of EA into other aspects of your organization? So I'd say we're on a journey there. I don't think we've got it all solved right now. Um, I think people's eyes are starting to be opened. I think one of the big benefits of using this kind of technology is the interconnectedness of things, being able to say, show how things relate together. So for example, a simple example, we have a, we have a system with lots of risks in it. Well, great, but how does that affect our roadmaps? We don't know until we start importing risks into our modeling tool. Now we can start to relate risks to applications. So when I'm asked by our sponsors, well, if you do that, what risks do you clear? I can see it straight away because we've related them. So I think the vision is becoming clear, becoming clearer. Um, I don't think we're there yet, um, but we're getting there. Yeah. I've often, heard, I've often heard enterprise architecture, I've often heard enterprise architecture systems being called the system of record for relations. Like enterprise architecture systems understand and manage the relations between lots of external systems of records, whether it's ServiceNow or your PPM system. EA sort of becomes this this repository for understanding how those things connect. So it's like the the container of the picture of connection. And of course, it's got its own you know future state stuff in there as well. Yeah. So I think we, we split it. I think it's really important um, to understand for all the data that describes your enterprise, what's the master of it? Really simple question. So if we separate out that question about the instances running of the applications, for example, from the logical application or the idea of the application to the service provided by the application, for each of those, those three different concepts we can talk about, we, just clear to, clear to, we need to understand where are they all mastered and what should the relationships be between them. And that applies to the whole of the description of the enterprise, whether it's at the technology layer or the application, or the business layer, or the strategy layer. It's, it's understanding where what's mastered where and being really clear. And politics can get in the way of that, absolutely can. People want to own stuff, it's human nature. But it's breaking those down and, and selling the benefit of having a joined up picture. So to my colleagues in the operations space, yes, you may not know, you may not own the logical application catalog, but by joining with us, 
then you'll be able to see a much richer picture as to what the impact is on failures in your area or understand how your operational world contributes to the strategic world. So it is all about relationships. I agree with you there. So that's fantastic, Cameron. And I think uh, your story is fantastic. And the level of depth of knowledge you talk about, the nuances of enterprise architecture, not just as a deployment of a piece of technology supported group, but the political and people and and process implications uh, were very enlightening as well. Um, Listen, at some point in the future, I'd love to have you back on the podcast. This has been really enjoyable speaking to you, but I'd like to thank you for your time today. And um, I hope you keep safe and well. But once again, Cameron, thanks so much for your time. You're most welcome. Been a pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Cameron and a story about how he and his team created true value and a new discipline at Thames Water. For more podcasts, blogs, and recorded webinars, please visit us at businessign.com, where there is a wealth of information available. And if you'd like to tell your EA story and feature on this podcast, then please email me, Will Scott, at podcast at bizdesign.com. Bizdesign is a leader in the area of enterprise architecture software and supports enterprise architecture teams in delivering value to their organizations with a key focus on the value outcomes of strategy advancement, operational efficiency, and reducing risk. Thanks for your time today.